Welcome to my podcast series, Aging with Grace, 55 plus, designed for anyone who wants to enjoy the journey of a lifetime after age 55. I am your host, Dale Josie, and this podcast series is made possible by Kentucky AARP. It provides useful tips, not only for taking care of yourself, family, and friends, but also how to enjoy life more abundantly than many even thought possible for people ages 55, 65, 75, and beyond. Some of our guests will be doing what many listeners only dream about or maybe even never thought possible. So enjoy their stories on this unique lifestyle podcast and be prepared to share your own along with hearing useful tips and vital information for everyone aging with grace. By the way, If you have a story idea that would appeal to our age group, then please email me. That's Dale, D-A-L-E, at awg55.com. Or drop a note in the mail addressed to me, care of Aging with Grace, 55 plus, P.O. Box, 99112, Louisville, Kentucky, 40269. In a few minutes, our first guest, Mona Loy, shares fond memories, including journals and train logs written by her great-grandfather from 1919 to 1931. Then, in our rotating segment, starting over, former marketing executive Elaine Davis, who, after losing a job that effectively ended her career with a long-term employer, finally is able to pursue a passion for painting what she calls affordable art. Hope you enjoy listening to both guests as much as I did interviewing them. This episode concludes with the story of an American inventor who, in the process of refusing to give up on his dream, made a discovery quite by accident, an accidental discovery that built an international industry. That's right, an accidental discovery that led to an indispensable product that we use in some form every day. Aren't you curious as to who he is? Then stick around and welcome to episode 10 of Aging with Grace 55 Plus. Several years ago, I read a book and I thought it'd be appropriate for this edition of Aging with Grace. It was a bestseller that I'm sure many of you may have read over 20 years ago. Uh, The book is called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and it's all small stuff. The book was written by Richard Carlson, a Dr. Richard Carlson. And uh, looking at it, I found a couple of passages here, an essay that I thought would be appropriate for this episode of Aging with Grace. And um, Dr. Uh, Carlson penned an essay called Surrendering to the Fact that Life Isn't Fair. And how many of us have heard people say, life isn't fair, right? Uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a bummer. It's a sobering thought, but now that a lot of us, many of us listening to this podcast are age 55 and older, we certainly realize that life isn't fair. Matter of fact, I remember being in Jesuit school, uh, in high school, and some of the priests uh, in one of our classes, I think it was ethics class or something, and he said, gentlemen, if you want life to be fair, then go buy a carousel, find you a couple of clowns invest in a few hogs, and call it life's fair, because that's the only way life is going to be a fair, because guess what? It's not fair. 
And this sobering fact can be a very liberating insight. One of the many mistakes that we make is that we feel sorry for ourselves or for others, right? Often thinking that life should be fair or that maybe someday life will be fair. Well, guess what? It's not fair and it will never be fair. When we make this mistake to spend a lot of time wallowing or complaining about what's wrong with life, right? We commiserate with others. We find others discussing the injustices of life, feeding off of each other. It's not fair, we complain. And then we're stomping our feet and we're, you know, just kind of roaming around. It's not fair. I just don't know what I'm going to do. And That's, by the way, the grouchy part that you've heard people complain in that voice, right? And I get a kick out of them because... While they're stomping and fulminating about life is not fair, one of the nice things about surrendering to the fact that life isn't fair is that it keeps us from feeling sorry for ourselves by encouraging us to do the very best we can with what we have. You see, we have to come to an understanding that it's not life's job to make everything perfect. That's our challenge. Surrendering to this fact That is not life's job to make everything perfect. Surrendering to the fact that that's our challenge keeps us from feeling sorry for others because then we are reminded that everyone is dealt a different hand and everyone has unique strengths by God's grace. Everyone has unique strengths to deal with the challenges that they're facing. Understanding that life isn't fair doesn't mean we shouldn't do everything in our power to improve our lives or the world as a whole. To the contrary, it suggests that we should do everything in our power to improve our own lives or the world as a whole. When we don't recognize or admit that life isn't fair, we tend to feel pity for our others and for ourselves. And pity, of course, is a self-defeating emotion that does nothing for everyone except to make everyone feel worse than they ever do. Really? Yeah. You ever gotten a a lemon-tinged invitation to a pity party? Well, don't open it. (laughs) You know, and don't send me an invitation to a pity party because that is self-defeating. And all it's going to do, again, is make everyone feel worse than they already do. Dr. Carlson concludes in his essay that when we do recognize that life isn't fair, we feel compassion for others and for ourselves. And compassion is a heartfelt emotion that delivers loving kindness to everyone it touches. So the next time you find yourself thinking about the injustices of the world, how life isn't fair, try reminding yourself of this very basic fact of compassion. Engage compassion as a heartfelt emotion, and you may be surprised that it can nudge you out of self-pity and it's a helpful action for others. Before we meet our next guest, Mona Loy, one of the things we like to talk about on Aging with Grace is that this is a process that can candidly be quite challenging for many. Reminiscing helps loved ones cope with growing older as they recreate their life's meaning by being connected to the past. Reminiscing also helps us to reaffirm our feelings of being important. Plus, sharing the past helps us as we age to reflect on our achievements and appreciate what we have done. Reminiscing about 
prior days can also bring families closer together. And then research indicates that at a certain age, as we age uh, into seniors, and understanding that those who reminisce may also show improved outlooks on life. It's a, a demanding process, but according to the LA Times, those who reflect on their lives find a greater satisfaction as they age. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about the past because you see, when we reflect on the past and our accomplishment, it also distracts us from worrying about, yeah, those medical conditions, that joint, that back, my rheumatoid, my, the list goes on, which is part of the aging process. But if you're reminiscing, if you're enjoying your life that's well-lived and sharing some good memories, not only does it distract us from worrying about our medical conditions, but it also increases self-esteem. And so with that said, I thought today's guest is uh, going to be a delightful woman, uh, Mona Loy, who I have the pleasure of knowing. And we're going to talk a little bit about rem reminiscing and about a peak in the past. And Mona has a great family stories. She has a, an amazing ledger going back uh, two generations. And she can also trace her origins um, back to 1580 in Germany with a humble young lady named Ursula Schwartz. So before we go any further, let's welcome Mona to Aging with Grace. Good morning, Mona. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Good, good. Well, you've been delightful. I absolutely have uh, enjoyed getting to know you through a club that we both uh, belong to, the uh, Fall City Corvette Club. I'll give them a nice little shout out, Butch and, and company. Um, but we were uh, at an event recently, and we started talking, and you have an amazing story. You have a journal. I guess we'll start there. Tell us about this journal and what makes it so special. Uh, it is a journal of my great-grandfather's, uh, starting with when he worked for the railroad. And, of course, back in those days, they didn't have time clocks or any way of keeping records like computers. Uh, so it was kept in a ledger mm -hmm. and it started in January of 1919. Wow. And it goes on. <laughs> yeah. To, I think it was uh, to January 1st of 1931. Yes. And it was such an honor to hold this ledger and by the way, for our for our listeners, if you go on my website, awg55.com, you'll see photos from the ledger and other uh, items from uh, Mona's family. But Mona, kind of walk us through that uh, journal uh, that your great your grandfather, your great grandfather kept. Great grandfather. Great grandfather. So, what was life like in 1919 through 1931? What are some of kind of the intriguing entries you think? Uh, things were a lot cheaper, but money was a lot tighter too. So it, it all, I guess, goes in with how we do today. But, uh, he kept a journal of working on the railroad that had the days of the month that had the engine number, the train number, the time that it was called in to, to be worked on or do whatever they needed to do, and then the time that it actually arrived. 
uh, and went on from there as to how many hours he worked on it. Uh, and he kept records of his paychecks, uh, which, boy, today, the kids today would not understand this. <laughs> but working for one day for $4.05. For and one day, $4.05? Yes. Oh, my. $4.05 or $4.55, depending on how long he actually worked on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, if they were in a situation of a holiday or something, they got double time. So that $4.05 becomes $8.10. Wow. Wow. So he was living the dream. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you realize, Mona, that in this day and time, in this economy, you and I and others would be multimillionaires? Yes. You know, when uh, what uh, uh, ha- uh, hamburger was a nickel, uh, steak dinner was 15 cents. Yes. But again, comparable to his income, uh, that worked in terms of his, how much did he get paid for one week, you said? Uh, oh, it varies, but... This one particular page that I'm looking at, it was for one for two weeks. I'm sorry, fifty-five dollars and six cents. Wow, and those hours were long too. Yes, yes. And of course, back then, you know, they walked to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't drive to work. Mm-hmm. He he walked to work. Mm-hmm. And also, in this journal is the. Uh, entries of where he purchased a house and what the house cost and the house actually cost one thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars wow back in 1919 one thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars yes you know i was when i where i was looking at your journal i tried to uh keep floating that decimal i said it's got to be at least seventeen thousand five hundred no but $1,750 for our listeners who may have just joined us. I'm having a delightful conversation with Mona Loy, uh, taking a peek not only into her family history, but sharing favorite memories, which is part of the pedigree of what of uh, Aging with Grace is all about. Uh, and this uh, segment, actually this series, is made possible by our sponsors, Kentucky AARP. Um, Mona, your dad... Uh, became a watchmaker, I understand. Yes. He, when he was in the service and he went to Korea and he learned to work on the clocks of the airplanes and that was what his job responsibility was. Uh, While over there, he learned, he taught himself basically to work on watches And uh, after he got out of the service and we got settled in our house here in Louisville, uh, he decided to open up uh, not so much a shop as such, but it was a a patio that we had connected to our garage. He enclosed that and then uh, put a watch bench out there and would do watch repair work, taught himself what he didn't know he learned. He was never trained. How many years was he a watchmaker? Oh, Lord. Um, probably 60. 60 years of being, yeah. a, and that and that was a very uh, uh, intricate, intricate craftsmanship. 
uh, which I regret to this day. Now we have, um, now we have battery powered watches and, you know, but the old winders, you know, yes. that, that yes. to me just it really takes you back someplace versus quartz watches of today. Yeah, um, he, um, if, if it was broke, he could fix it. <laughs> well, it's and, and, and one of those watches uh, is a marvelous pocket watch, which our uh, listeners will also be able to see on my website, uh, awg55.com. And I understand your son, Ed, has that pocket watch. Yes, it was given to him at graduation uh, in 1990, and it was a mixture of parts that he had that he just put together and built the actual watch uh, to give to my son. And then the final point, as we uh, at the onset of this episode, I talked about reminiscing, um, but not only reminiscing, but you and your son have engaged in a ge- genealogical search tracing your family all the way back to 1580 Germany. How did that start? And what was the process, Mona? Uh, we started, and I'm, I'm going to say it's probably been 10 to 15 years ago. And it was just with what we knew at the time. Um, we finally got into it heavier. And it's one of those things that while you're working on it, you just go nuts with it. It's something you got to be doing. You got to be doing. And it takes up a lot of time. Yeah. But we started and it's just ever so often he'd find something and he'd add to it. And then this time I was the one that found the uh, ancestor in the 1850s. Or I'm sorry, 1580. So, yeah, <laughs> and, um, it was just something that, you know, you get excited about and and you want to get on there and you want to start looking for more. And it's once you get started with it, it's hard to stop. Yeah. And I recommend to, whether it's an aging person, a, a young adult, teenager, whatever. If you don't do anything else right now while you've got your grandparents and your great grandparents, great aunts and uncles. Sit down and ask about family history. Write it down. Take photographs. If you've got a tape recorder, which I know sounds foreign, uh, record their voices because it may not mean anything to you right now. But I'm telling you, as you get older, the more important it becomes. And, and it's your history is important. Oh, that's so good, Mona. I don't think we can end on a better note than that. Uh, not only on your on your uh, words encouraging people to uh, memorialize their family history, but also sharing a, a passion that you uh, share with your son, Ed. I think that's just so powerful. Yes. yes. That's awesome. Well, Mona Loy, you've been absolutely delightful. I truly appreciate your time as we took a peek, peek in the history. You allowed us to reminisce on a ledger that, that uh, your great-grandfather kept from uh, January 1919 to January 1931, which, if my math is right, is about 12 years. And uh, keep up the good fight, Mona. You're just delightful, and you truly are aging with grace, which is why I wanted you on this episode today. Well, so have a, you. My pleasure. You have a good day, Mona. Until next time, thank you All so right. much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Did you know, and I yeah, no, you didn't know. <laughs> I love when people say that. Did you know? It's some obscure fact, right? You're going, yeah, yeah, like a bobblehead doll. No, you, you didn't know this. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the, did you know that the average lead pencil 
will draw a line 35 miles long or write approximately 50,000 English words. More than 2 billion pencils are manufactured every year in the United States. And if they were laid end to end, did you know that they would circle the world nine times? That's an interesting factoid, right? Because first of all, you know, how do you know it's going to draw a line 35 miles long? And by the way, is that a number two pencil or, you know, we can always, I guess you always have those subtleties to it. I don't know. But how do you know it's going to draw a line 35 miles an hour, 35 miles long? Well, some guy leaning out the door with a pencil on the road, and just kept going down to the nub and at 35 miles, he was at the eraser. <laughs> How, how would you measure that? I, I don't know. And then more than 2 billion pencils are manufactured each year in the United States. That's a whole lot of pencils. So, But it's written in this book, right? Fascinating facts. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. And here's another one for you, for those of you interested in trivia, as I love trivia. Um, this is about, you know, those, about doing chores around the house. So did you know that if we do chores uh, around the house every day, uh, you know, that we're walking 10 miles a day. That's 10 miles a day doing nothing but chores. And then if you're making beds, right? Remember folks would say, before you leave the house, make sure your bed's made up. And that translates to us as adults, for those of us who make up beds. I'm sure other folks don't. But those who don't, this is not applicable to you. But it is applicable to those of us who make up our bed. We actually walk four miles and spend 25 hours a year making beds. So, again, who, who tracks that, right? That we're walking four miles in our bedroom, in our average American bedroom, and spending 25 hours a year making beds. How do you come up with that fact? But it's reported in a book called Fascinating Facts. And I still can't get the pencil lead out of my mind, right? You know, that it's 50,000 English words. So Bob's over the corner. <laughs> he's, he's writing. He comes up with 49,300 words. And someone says, you're not done yet. <laughs> you got 300, you got 700 more words <laughs> to go. I don't know. But anyway, both of those I found very fascinating and fun. And by the way, if you have some engaging uh factoids. And if you want to challenge either one of these about pencils or, or chores, consuming miles around your, your, in your life, um, send them to me at dale at awg55.com. As always, I'd love to hear from you. And now back to our program. As part of Aging with Grace, uh, my listeners understand that we have a new feature on our program called Starting Over. And starting over can be very daunting. It's challenging. It means doing things differently than you've ever thought you would do before. You don't go willingly into starting over. You have to have somewhat of a plan. It could be kismet. uh, could be random. But in any event, all of us are being drawn into destiny. And destiny means starting over. Destiny could mean simply continuing on the path that you're on. And as part of this episode, before we meet our next person who is uh, making a, uh, who is starting over, uh, Elaine Davis, um, there's a wonderful organization that publishes a book called Encore. And uh, one, of the, one of the chapters I was reading last night preparing for this segment, it touches on the fact that um, 
in the past 100 years, the average lifespan in the United States has expanded from 47 to 48 years. And then, you know, a longer life should be a cause for celebration, right? If we're going to be here a while longer, we should have more things to celebrate, but actually it can also create some anxiety. Millions of people are grappling alone with a nameless problem shared by millions of others. So what meaning, what do we do with these additional years? How do we make use of this extra time while we're still vital and and engaged? And then how do we pay for that extra time? And then as we all wrestle with the final point, which is really good, is like, how do we leave a legacy, contribute and make money? And if possible, according to Encore, find bliss along the way. Well, one of those things to do that, to find bliss along the way, and this has kind of been my whole approach to my career, is that once you find the one thing that you like doing, you will never work another day in your life. And I've been blessed to find something I'm absolutely passionate about doing in the last six chapters of my life, this chapter being a podcast producer and host, but more about that later, because right now, I want to introduce you to our next guest, Elaine Davis. Elaine Davis is from Indiana. She's an aspiring uh, uh, painter and just has a great story. So I thought as part of starting over, I'd welcome Elaine Davis to Aging with Grace. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm very well. So Elaine, just to kind of cut to to the chase, you've got a great story we've had a chance to share. Um, You, once upon a time, were a graphic artist, a graphic designer for a large company. And then uh, you made the transition to beginning to paint. So what are you painting? And from what I've seen, you're very talented. Thanks. Uh, Well, I paint what moves me. If I see a photo of a a landscape or an object um, and I like the look of it, I want to see what I can do to change it and bring it to life for other people. Mm Mm-hmm. So when you see something, is it like an aha moment? Like you grab usually, your Yeah, usually if I see something that I think speaks to me, I usually hear in my head, I've got to paint that. Mm, okay. <laughs> and that's that's what I do. I you know, I look at photos, I do searches, um, I paint a lot of horses, I paint um dogs. And I paint on commission. So, mm-hmm. you know, if someone has a dog that's passed or one that they currently have and just want to keep it, uh, you know, uh, in sight all the time, I guess, um, you know, I can do that. Mm-hmm. All I need is the photograph. And uh, then I, I paint an oil painting on canvas. And you're very good at what you do. And for our listeners, uh, if you want to go to my website, awg55.com, you will see a couple of uh, collections of some of uh, Elaine's work uh, for in terms of equine, which is very interesting because you, when I'm looking at your picture of the horses you've painted, the eyes draw me. Is that intentional? Yes, because I think the eyes are what people look at at horses anyway. You know, they have a soul too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to... I think I think the eyes convey the most, especially in animals, but people too. Mm-hmm. You know, when I meet somebody new, I look at their eyes. Yeah, that tells me all I need to know usually about that person. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, some people look away, but I, I've always been one to look someone directly in the eye because I, I want to get to know you. 
Absolutely. And I think it was the bard, uh, William Shakespeare, who said the eyes are the window to the soul. True. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, you can kind of see oh, the essence of a person, which is why it really bothers me when people wear dark shades inside, a build, <laughs> inside of a building. Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> Does that not annoy you? But that's neither yeah. here nor there. Someone's going to be like, Dale, really? I got a medical condition. Okay. No, I do. <laughs> I do the same thing. Even if I'm outside and I have my shades on, if, if I'm talking to someone, I usually take them off. Right. As yeah. a courtesy. Right. As a courtesy. I don't like to looking in a black hole either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see your eyes. So, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. You know, when I was a kid, I drew. Uh, I had a, a sketch pad. My mom bought me one when I was probably eight or nine. And I started drawing them. And mm-hmm. I really loved it. And with her encouragement, I moved on to acrylic painting. Mm-hmm. Um, now, would I classify me as good? No, but I wasn't horrible. Mm-hmm. I was a young kid, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I kind of, you know, when I got married and had children, I didn't have time mm-hmm. uh, to mess with it. But I thought the last five years, I uh, took a course and it was just really one event, like a two hour event painting oils because okay. like I said, I was in acrylics mm-hmm. and I don't know, something clicked and I thought, man, this is fun. I really enjoy this. And I was able to do it better than I thought I would. Wow. So I thought, well, I'm going to keep doing this and just see what happens. Well, you know, over the last four years, I've, I've grown and mm-hmm. I think I've been able to do better than I thought. Mm-hmm. So it makes me feel good when I am happy with, because I'm a, I'm my own worst critic. All of us are. I, I guess. And yeah. if I like it, I think, well, maybe somebody else might like it, you know? Yeah. So. So is your, um, is your, is your favorite in terms of your palette? Uh, do you prefer uh, acrylics or oils or watercolors? I, I like oils. Yeah. Um, and then acrylics second watercolor and I don't get along. Yeah. <laughs> I can't control it. It's <laughs> I probably need to take some classes on that yeah. just to learn the medium a little bit. But yeah. um, I think oil is my favorite. It yeah. it, it forgives a yeah. lot more. Oh, know? that's good. Yeah. Which is a, uh, a fundamental proposition of being human. You yeah. know, so we have to learn to forgive more and more, All which right. is a better approach to life. Um, 38 years, I understand, being a graphic designer. 38 years. And then, yeah. uh, so when you began your, your reinvention, your encore, uh, how did you get there? What was the decision-making process? Well, um, actually I lost my job. Um, and I think at that point I needed to decide if I wanted to continue working or if I wanted to try something new. And I'd always wanted to paint and have more time to do that. So I decided that that was what I was going to do. And um, I do have a marketing um, company as well. And I I have a couple of clients that I handle the social media management and graphic design for them is in their websites. And it's enough to keep me still active on that side of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now I'm really looking to promote myself as a painter but the thing I like about you in terms of selling your art, you when we uh, first talked, Elaine, off microphone, you mentioned that you're committed to affordable art. What does that mean to you? Well, I don't I don't charge hundreds of dollars and thousands of dollars like 
most artists do. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal is to sell my art and to make people happy with it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I want to make a little bit, but um, I'm in a position now where I don't, it's, it's not the end all if I don't. Yeah. So uh, I like people that like my paintings. You know, yeah. I want them to like my paintings. It makes me feel good. Yeah. If they're happy. Yeah. yeah. Which I which I imagine um, not having that pressure on you. Would you agree that it frees up the creative process? Oh you? yeah. You're not driven. I you don't have to meet a deadline. You paint right. as you want to paint. I gather as yes. it strikes you. Yes. Yep. And and uh, we just got back from vacation. I've got a lot of pictures that I took, and I'm gonna I'm getting ready to start a couple more. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Then when you talk about affordable art, you've been doing art shows around town, and I understand that you just that uh, someone just stopped by, banged on the door, and bought two paintings. Ah, uh, yeah, actually, he uh, he saw me my post on Facebook about a show I did last week. And uh, he contacted me and said he wanted to come by and take a look at my art, and he purchased two. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was really happy about that. Well, get, help us get the word out when you said Facebook. Uh, where would someone find you on Facebook? Well, um, you would look, search for Elaine, and it's E L A I N E. And then my maiden name, which is Light Off, let me spell it because it's it's an old German name. Mm-hmm. It's L-E-I-D-O-L-F and Davis is my last name. So uh, that's uh, my website is ElaineLightoffDavis.com. By the way, our guest is Elaine Davis, and she's talking about affordable art that she creates uh, for all sorts of budgets and uh, more information about Elaine, including her work can be found on my website, awg55.com. Talk about the preparation, Elaine, from start to finish. Uh, seems like it's a very long process in terms of painting. You just don't, uh, you just don't slap at it. You spend time. Right. Well, I, how many uh, hours? Oh, well, it depends on, on what I'm painting. Uh, for instance, I, I did a, a painting of five horses and um, it was a 16 by 20. And I would say I probably have upwards of 30 hours on that one Mm -hmm. because um, the way oils behave, uh, you have to paint once one pass. And then in my case, I have to let it dry. Otherwise the colors start to muddy Mm -hmm. and let it dry for a few days and then come back and put the next one on and I would say that one probably has five or six passes on it just to get the browns of the horses really rich. Wow. Um, where they pop off. So it just really kind of depends on what I'm painting. Flowers, mm-hmm. I do a lot of florals. Um, those are a little bit easier. Um, and they're fun, you know, mm-hmm. like poppies. I've got a, a, I've sold quite a few poppies to people. They seem to be a popular um you know, flower and stuff like that. So I want to do sunflowers. I think those speak to people, mm-hmm. but I can do anything, I, you know, to irises, daisies, you know, whatever. All I need is a photo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what they want, or I can yeah. find a photo for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have your favorite of all the paintings that you've painted? Do you have any that stick out to you or really call to you? You say, this was my finest hour. I think the 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 horses that I was mentioning before the five horses I call it the herd, uh, and uh, I have one in my living room. I love it. It's just it just 
I have a horse motif through my house anyway, and it just pops off the wall. In my opinion, I do have another one that's on my website for sale because um, I wanted to do it again. I mean, no. it's got to speak to somebody else <laughs> besides me. So, anyway. well, that's awesome. Well, hopefully, uh, the herd will be on my website awg55.com if you could send that image. And uh, I do see the horse motif around you, horses uh, on your mantle, yeah. and I see a horse uh, statue. So. Yeah. This is something that, you, that has absolutely captivated your attention, Elaine, and you're doing it very well. Thank you. appreciate that. This has been a conversation with Elaine Davis. She shared with us uh, starting over and how she seized her passion after uh, her, losing her job after 38 years. And now she's becoming uh, someone who creates affordable art for all tastes, all sizes, and all demands. It's been delightful, Elaine. Until next time, have a good day. You too. Thanks. At the end of each episode of Aging with Grace, I'd like to always share an inspirational story. And with that in mind, I think we can agree that nothing worthwhile comes easy. And if we look at this, and as you listen to this gentleman I'm about to introduce you to, an American inventor, again, you'll understand that nothing worthwhile comes easy. Because you see, this American inventor had no formal education. He didn't have any formal education. At the age of 21, he went into partnership with his father in a hardware business that soon failed. It was the first of many losses. Regrettably, failure and poverty characterized much of this inventor's life, and more than once, he spent time in debtor's prison. Debtor's prison, uh, for which in a part of American culture around the 1800s, 1700s, 1800s, early 1900s, if you didn't pay your debts, you went to debtor's prison, right? And so he found himself in debtor's prison on more than one occasion. His family frequently existed on the charity of neighbors. Six of his 12 children died in infancy. And by the time this American inventor, who's now known around the world, By the time he was 40, his health was very poor. Matter of fact, he could not even get around without the aid of crutches. He was born in the 1800s, and in 1834, he began experimenting with an obsession, following an obsession with rubber. He had a fanatical determination to transform this raw rubber into a useful material. To pursue his experiments, He sold his watch because he needed money to fund each one of the experiments, which ended in failure. Another experiment he had to do, he he sold the living room furniture to fund that experiment, which regrettably and painfully also failed. Even sold the dishes off the table. You know, it's like he's rock bottom, pushing everything in and only coming up with failure, but he has singular focus on an obsession of what could be done with rubber. He always experimented with it, trying to discover its unique properties and mold it as his lifelong obsession was molding it to his satisfaction. And then one day, quite by accident, he stumbled upon the process of vulcanizing rubber when he dropped a piece of the material that had been treated with sulfur on a hot stove. This was the eureka moment that launched an industry. This was the aha moment 
where this American inventor began to refine this process, which opened and began the development of an entire industry. You see, trying and failing, trying and failing was the story of his life. And regrettably, who you're about to meet, Charles Goodyear, he never was able to achieve commercial success because, you see, he died a broke, broken man financially and physically in 1860 in New York City. But despite repeated failures, Charles Goodyear maintained singular focus on one goal, how to vulcanize rubber. And because of his singular focus, 40 years later, almost 40 years later, in 1898, the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company was founded in his name in Akron, Ohio, and has since become an essential worldwide product. This American inventor, Charles Goodyear, ignoring distractions and with complete focus, succeeded where others had completely failed. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Aging with Grace 55 Plus. This series is presented in collaboration with Kentucky AARP. Remember, aging is a lifelong process. And if you choose to see new possibilities, you will find them every day. Let's remember that life is a gift. So join me in encouraging everyone you meet to be present in it. Get it? Present gift. Life is a gift. Be present. Okay, be present in it. (laughs) Aging is not a time of diminishment or being relegated to the sidelines of life, but it is a time of application of lessons taught by some of our very best teachers, including experience. Hey, I'd love to hear from you. So please send emails to Dale. That's me, D A L E, at awg55.com or visit our website awg55.com And now for a last thought of the day from James Clear author of the best-selling book Atomic Habits Good Habits Make Time Your Ally Bad Habits Make Time Your Enemy So, until next time this has been Dale Josie host of Aging with Grace 55 Plus Thank you.